0: good day movie maniacs this is sky once again without my brother dusty now obviously because i'm speaking to you at the beginning of the podcast before the music even rolls this is going to be another replay episode we need to do this for just a few more weeks so that he and i have some time to finish some uh, non-podcast non-movie related stuff that we're doing right well the other day i was uh looking through my amazon library and i saw mission impossible fallout i had to play it again i sat down with the family from like 8 to 10 p.m. on a Friday night. We watched this puppy. I loved it so much. The family loved it again. We talked about the action, the crazy things that Tom Cruise did, um, the, the, the really good work by Henry Cavill in the movie, and just the awesome espionage and spy kind of work that took place in this movie, right? Well, it just made me remember, hey, Dusty and I did an episode on this one. So I figured this is what we would replay for this week. So here is our episode where we talked about the lesson learned and of course a spoiler review for mission impossible fallout it was originally aired on august 16th of 2018 and this was episode number 10 in the podcast so thank you very much again for tuning in this week and i hope you enjoy the show It's time for Watch and Learn, the show where we discuss the life lessons we learn from the movies we watch. Today, Mission Impossible Fallout. Hey, movie maniacs. My name is Sky, and I'm here once again with my brother, Dusty. Hey, 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 Dust. How's it going? Good, man. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you, man. I Um, just things are going well summer. Oh, you know, what's really good in two weeks, my boys are going back to school. So no more 24 seven with me and the boys, you know, I'm going to have a few hours every day here at home to get work done without them around. Man, I don't know how you do that with you know, with kids in the house all day. That's just crazy. Yeah, it is. It's, it's tough to get work done. Like, you know, during the school year, I'm putting in easily at my desk, uh, five to six hours a day of actual work during the during the summer when they're home. It's like it really drops down to two to three, four if I'm lucky. Yeah, I know what you mean. Well, we have uh, we homeschool, so my wife Melissa, she's the one that takes care of them all day while I'm doing work around the house or you know working on my podcasts or my my uh, rental properties and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's it you know a lot a lot of parents you know when their kids go back to um, uh, back to school they think oh man I can actually do my own thing and whatever uh, Melissa and I we don't really have that so it's it's always go always all the time. I gotcha. I gotcha. Um. So before we get to the movie, I want to play a little game with you called Win, Play, Show. Do you know this game? Yes, let's do it. Okay, sweet. So I'm going to give you three different, in this case, we're going to do three different movie trilogies, and they're all from different types of genres, okay? So I want you to rank these, Win, Play, Show, these three trilogies. The first trilogy is The Matrix. The second is The Lord of the Rings. And the third is The Toy Story trilogy. Oh, so Win when- is definitely first place is lord of the rings wow right away huh don't even have to give it any thought why is that well because lord of the rings I, I mean all three of those movies are just spectacular and the storylines are fantastic they're really really good now for show i would have to so, so the last place is where i would have to go to next and that would be the ones that you know i really appreciated toy story but obviously being an adult um i i, I did like them what I did not like between um, let's say both Matrix and Toy Story, um, both of the second and third of the trilogy weren't very good at all. Well, I would say they weren't good. They they were they were good in their own right, but the storyline, what I do remember about the Matrix, the storyline in um uh Toy Story was I, I remember that uh Toy Story basically had the same second and third, the same you know the the happy go lucky nice guy that was leading everybody turns out to be the bad guy, and so it was a very similar story in two and three. So I would personally put Toy Story because I wouldn't necessarily want to watch them again. Um, Toy Story at show in the last place, which automatically moves Matrix into the into place because. I, even though, you know, part two and three in the Matrix, there were some really, really fantastic scenes and really, really great storytelling and all that sort of stuff. I really loved the first one. Like the first one was so good and so uh, groundbreaking that I just could watch that over and over again. Um, second and third ones, definitely great, great stuff in that um, a lot of philosophy and a lot of action fighting and all that stuff was great. But yeah, so when is definitely Lord of the Rings show or uh, place would be uh, Matrix and show would be Toy Story. I feel exactly the same as you. And for all of those exact same reasons, Lord of the Rings, you cannot beat it. All three movies, great. The Matrix Part One is one of the best movies ever. Two or three faltered a little bit. And then Toy Story, I think I agree 100% with you, man. I'm an adult now, and they are fun stories with really good, like, uh, character development, really good heartfelt uh, storylines and relationships between the different characters. But at the same time, I don't know if I'll ever watch any of them again, you know, unless maybe in the future I've got my grandkids and they're over and I'm babysitting. Sitting. that might be the only time yeah yeah even then i'll just put it on for them <laughs> all right you guys go watch out i'm gonna go <laughs> do record a podcast or something <laughs> oh yeah 100 percent well uh, let's get to the movie we watched mission impossible fallout <laughs> Now, this was written and directed by Christopher McQuarrie, and I don't know if you know Dust, but he also wrote and directed Rogue Nation. He also did the same for Jack Reacher, and he also wrote one of the best sci-fi movies ever, which was Edge of Tomorrow, or Live, Die, Repeat, as it's otherwise known. Now, was Live, Die, Repeat, wasn't that a book first? It was. It was a, a, a book first. It started off as a Japanese novel or a manga, um, and then it got turned into the movie. Oh, yeah. I That... I I remember when Live, Die, Repeat or Edge of Tomorrow came out, it didn't really seem like it was that blockbuster. But when I watched it, actually, you're the one that told me, dude, you got to watch Live, Die, Repeat or you know Edge of Tomorrow, whatever the name was at the time. You got to watch this. It was so amazing. I was like, okay, I'll watch it. And yeah, fantastic. I was really, really blown away at that. Um, And so I got to be honest, I wanted to watch Rogue Nation, but I haven't watched it yet. I still have not seen it. So, you know, a lot of things in what we were just watching Fallout, it was showing previous in the rogue nation. So I'm a little behind on that. So I'll have to watch it eventually, but yeah, um, I really appreciated all the stories. Um, obviously, um, live, die, repeat as well as, um, uh, Fallout I think the story was really well written I thought I, I like the way that the story plays out in most of the um uh, Mission Impossible movies so yeah I, I thought he did a great job what did you think good yeah I, I loved it Christopher McQuarrie wrote and directed another really good one here one question I have for you because this is perfect I of course saw Rogue Nation so I went into this movie piece of cake no problem with the story or anything was anything confusing to you or did this movie hold up on its own did you have to watch Rogue Nation first Actually, they did a decent job where you didn't have to watch like the things that I figured out was, OK, you know, she they helped you to understand that the the um, pretty girl that, you know, comes in and helped, saves them in the bathroom. OK, that, you know, in a previous movie, they were a part, you know, partnered together or whatever. Um, uh, the only there was a couple little things about the nuances of him catching uh, the main bad guy and all that sort of stuff. But I didn't like it didn't skip a beat and everything fell fell in line really well. Yeah, I kind of figured that was uh the way you would see it, you know, without without Rogue Nation, you'd still get into this movie, but uh before watching this, did you watch the trailer at all? I You know what? I did watch the trailer at least a couple times. The only downside about the Mission Impossible trailers is they show you all the quick hitting action scenes. Like they they cut it so fast so you see so many different scenes. Um like the like the Him falling off the cliff, you know, um, when he's fighting the bad guy, you don't know it's the very end. And you know, it and his motorcycle driving. There's so many quick action in the trailers that it gives away quite a bit of the action, but it doesn't give away any much of the story, which is, uh, you know, good and bad. Yeah, I agree with you. Not much of the story, but um, they did the same thing at the beginning of the movie where they showed action scenes throughout the movie, but. I didn't feel that that spoiled anything. Like you said it's so quick hitting bam 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 one one and a half seconds between each that you don't remember anything, I feel. I don't know. I absolutely hated that was one thing I made note specifically I want to talk about. I absolutely hated seeing the movie in, you know, like a one minute montage in like really quick clips before I'm actually going to watch the movie. I was like, this is so stupid. Do like a James Bond thing, you know, when they open with the, you know, the the gun and the dancing girls and all that sort of, do something different. I don't want to see the movie before I actually see the movie. I gotcha. I can understand that, but I just didn't feel that way at all. It's for me, it it worked more to get me pumped and excited for this, what I knew was going to be a crazy action packed movie. I got it. Awesome. So Dusty, just real quick before we get really uh, deep into this movie, let's talk about the Mission Impossible franchise. This was the sixth movie over 22 years. Can you believe that? Yeah, the first movie was made in 1996. And then I think the next one was like in 2006, I think. So like 10 years away. But yeah, it's crazy. And you could see the difference in Tom Cruise, who is Ethan Hunt, from beginning to where he is now. Totally, and I just love how he still does his own stunts, um, and he's still, like, just as a filmmaker, he's totally gung-ho, and he loves the, um, I guess what you would call practical effects. You know, there's hardly any CG. Actually, maybe the only CG I caught was when he was driving the motorcycle, crashed the car, and flew through the air. Nothing else really stood out as CG to me. That CG did... Look, CG, like you could absolutely tell Mm -hmm. that it was CG, which is you know rather a bummer. But I was thoroughly excited when he was doing all of his own stunts. You could tell him when he's riding the motorcycle, you know, he's hanging on the helicopter, all that sort of stuff. I was like, dude, Tom Cruise is a stud without a doubt. And he's like he's like 50 something years old. I mean, he's he's getting up there and he's still hanging in there. Yeah, he's 56 years old. And, and this is hard for you to believe. I learned this on a different podcast I was listening to. But uh, Tom Cruise in this movie is five years older than Wilfred Brimley was when he shot Cocoon. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Can you oh, believe? I mean, wow. 56 years old doing crazy action. Nobody back in the day, I mean, nobody's ever done what Tom Cruise is doing now. Well, Jackie Chan, I guess. Yeah. Other than Jackie Chan, no one. Yeah. That's that's very, very true. I, I've i been blown away at how awesome Tom Cruise is, like, action-wise. He's still a stud. Like when I saw Jack Reacher and him doing all the stunts in Jack Reacher, super, super awesome. And, he, you know, he takes off his shirt. He's still awesomely fit. He looks, you know, he looks older. There was something else I wanted to talk about. Uh, oh, I wanted to bring it back really quickly to the trailer. Did you watch the trailer, and did you notice that there were some – clips or scenes or, you know, like a little um, action scene in the trailer that were not in the movie? Yeah, I think I counted three of them. Yeah, isn't that silly? I mean, I know they got to cut things out, but why would you make a trailer and have it not in the movie? Yeah, I think they make the trailer, I don't, it was probably made uh, six months ago and they finalized the movie like, you know, the week before it's actually out there, you know, probably. Probably. Well for me it almost kind of lets me down where you know I see that truck speeding in a, into another truck, you know, like a, like a big rig and you see, oh, what's going to happen? But you, you don't see that. Or you see him, you know, swinging from the chandelier or whatever. Like it's just all that stuff you definitely don't see, which, oh, well, you know, you kind of miss it in the, tra- or you see it in the trailer, you miss it in the movie, but it just is a little weird. It's like, huh, look at that. Kind of like the first time I ever noticed it was the movie Twister. You know, <laughs> it's like Twister, they had so many scenes in the trailer that were not in the movie. You're like, you absolutely noticed they're not in the movie. Ah, uh, I gotcha. Hey, so thinking of um, other movies outside in general, do you remember in um, Justice League when you had Superman, his face looked really, really weird, and he was like a close-up on him, he was talking about the S on his chest and explaining how, you know, even though it's an S, it means, you know, peace, or I think it was peace, if I remember correctly, but anyways, um, you could see the actor, whatever his name is, do you know his name? Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill, his face looks so funky. Like, at one time, he looks like Agent Smith, you know, in the movie. And another time, he looks normal. But what it came out to was... He actually had a contract with another movie that he had to have a mustache, like he could not shave it off. And, you know, so that scene was an extra shoot after the Justice League was created. So it seems like maybe that was exactly this. This is the movie that he needed the mustache for, because I can't remember any other movie that he needed a mustache for. But they had to CG replace his mustache and put it like he didn't have a mustache. And they did a horrible job. Without a doubt, they did a horrible job. And I think it's because his mustache was so freaking luxurious and thick, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. And just like, you know, DC and the people who make DC, everything they do in the movies are horrible. And so this is another horrible thing that they did in the movie. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I mean, too bad they just couldn't... if, If they were smart, they seriously should have just pushed it back a little bit, waited for his contractual recording, not recording, but taping obligations for Mission Impossible to end, then record, um... Uh then <laughs> they would have also given them more time just to work on the story and improve the whole the whole movie, you know? Oh my goodness. And also, I went and watched this in 3D. Man, 3D is getting better and better all the time. Now, let me ask you. Do you remember the first movie? Or what is the first movie movie you remember seeing in 3D? Because I remember and you were with me, but I want to see which one you remember. The one that I remember seeing in 3D, I think it was Lawnmower Man. Oh, you know what? Let me look that up real Are quick. You, because <laughs> you're thinking of a later movie? I think it was later. At least I want to say it, it seems later. But do you remember Freddy Krueger? Yeah, there was also Nightmare on Elm Street 3D. Nightmare on Elm Street 3D. That's the first time I remember. So let me look it up real quick to see. Yeah, I think we saw them both. But for in my mind, Lawnmower Man was sooner or earlier. Okay, so I did a quick search to see when these were made. And you and I both watched these movies, and they were super cool. And I remember, you know, you grabbed the 3D glasses. And like, oh, okay, this is going to be great. You know, we were kids, I think, um, you know, back in 1990s. I was like, you know, 12, 13, you were 14, 15, whatever. You know, okay, now it's time to put on your glasses. And you put on your glasses, and they were paper, and they had one as green, one was red. And it was just it's totally different than it is now. Yep. They're getting so much better. But I did a quick look to see what the other movies were. Uh, the first one. So you said Law More Man, I say Freddy's uh final final nightmare. So I think the first one we watched was The Final Nightmare. And that was made in nineteen ninety one. And The Lawnmower Man was made in 1992. So ah. we were really, really close. But yeah, that was super cool when Freddy, you know, his his hand came out of the movie theater at you. And the lady holds up a bat that has, has nails in it. And that kind of sticks out at you. You know, it's super cool. But yeah, did you go watch this in 3D? No, I saw it in regular 2D. And it was still really awesome. But I've heard a lot of people say the 3D and the IMAX is just killer. I, I bet the IMAX is great. Um, I go to um, the theater that just has 3D, and the 3D was fantastic. Even what I did appreciate was not just the action and things kind of you know coming out of the screen, but showing the depth of the... Like the wedding scene where he's getting married, or and you have the you know the main bad guy presiding over the wedding, but you see the background and the mountains and everything. You see the depth of that, and it shows them you know closer. It's just super super surreal and very very cool to see, and it's just great to see how far 3D has come along. Awesome, man. You know, you and I talked about it because we went to go see it in 3D. Not it, we went to go see Avengers: Infinity War in 3D, and we both noticed how the CG in 3D looks totally fake, right? Yeah. So in this movie because there wasn't much CD, maybe that one scene of the motorcycle crash stood out to you? Did anything else stand out to you as kind of ugly in in 3D? No. No, as I think about it, the only one that stuck out was that. Now, there there might have been something where um and I didn't really notice it because there was a lot going on, it was cutting really quick. But um, on when they're on the mountain, not mountain, but like the rock cliff, and you know the helicopters hanging off the edge and all that sort of stuff. There was a couple little things there, but they did a great job. I didn't really notice anything. But yeah, that that motorcycle scene where he flies off and you know hits the car and flies off—that was absolutely you could tell. Awesome. So it sounds like uh, if you want to see some kind of a big extravaganza in three D, you're better off with a practical effects movie than a CG movie. Yeah, I loved it. Sweet, sweet. So uh, you know. You would mention the story earlier, and I totally agree with you. The storytelling was perfect in this one. In the very, like, everything happens, one thing leads to another, leads to another, right? So things are going right, then all of a sudden something goes wrong. Now they have to do this, and then something else happens. Solomon Lane escapes, so now they have to do this, and Solomon's there. I mean, I thought the story made total sense to me. There was no mm, nothing illogical that occurred to me in the story. I agree. And, you know, we also have the thing called the Monday Morning Quarterback. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to watch for Monday Morning Quarterback issues like where (laughs) Ethan Hunt's always saying, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. And, you know, as we're going through the movie, I don't like my brain doesn't think, oh, man, you should be doing this or you should be doing that. The only one time, and this is not my Monday Morning Quarterback, the only one time is when um, Ethan Hunt's driving the, the car, you know, the tiny car with the bad guy in it and the three others, and they're driving. And there's a lady on a motorcycle chasing him like before he rams her, he should have rammed her like way sooner than that, like just nudged her or bumped her off so she can't ride anymore and he take off. But there was one scene where he was really close, like he had to drive past her in order for and she wasn't pointing the gun at him, (laughs) drive past her in order to get around her. And I'm like, just hit her. anyways (laughs) anyways <laughs> i got you it's just like you know oftentimes in movies bad guys just don't want to kill the good guy they set up some kind of elaborate james bondian type trap or something uh or even in austin powers which me and the boys watched part two the spy who shagged me the other day and once again his son scott is saying hey just pull out your gun and kill him be done with it and they just don't do it <laughs> you don't get it scott you don't you just don't you don't get it <laughs> it's just, <laughs> great. Awesome powers, a great. Movie. So, yeah, I, I'm with you right right there. The story was really good. I definitely appreciate it. At, when I left the movie, sometimes or most times when I don't like the story or at like, least things don't register well in my brain like, man, that didn't line up, that didn't line up, or I didn't like this, or whatever it might be. I didn't walk away with any of that. It felt really good. Good, man. And one thing that I took away from it is that it seemed like Christopher McQuarrie and the producers. Um, Tom Cruise, everybody, they kind of treat you with respect, you know, they treat you like you're an adult going to the movie, you can follow along with the action, they're not saying things over and over, there's not a ton of exposition, it's more like they show it, or not show it, they tell what's going to happen, and then bam, they go do it, and they show the results of what's happening. Yeah, uh, that makes sense, that's a good way to explain it, how they they build you up, and they don't make you feel like you're a kid, that you have to explain it over and over again, that's a good way to explain it. Yeah. Um, You know, Ethan Hunt in this movie, just like every time he displays his craziness. The guy um, is just willing to do anything to, to fix the problem, to save the innocent, to beat the bad guys. You know, I just I love that about him, but he is pretty freaking crazy. He's absolutely crazy. I love when um at the very end, when he's going to jump on the helicopter, he's, oh, what's he doing? Oh, it's best not to look. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I can't believe he's going to be doing that. But you know, how many times is a guy get like that going to live like that and not die? You know, not <laughs> something so dramatic, like falling off the, the helicopter and literally dying like so many times he should have died. But anyways, it's a movie, which we got to appreciate. But yeah, I, I do appreciate, though. How it's not like, like I've, I've used this analogy in the past or like a reference, but like Commando, you know, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Loved it as kids, but when you look back, you're like, dude, he did so much. And it was, like he, it was so illogical, all the things that he did, where as Mission Impossible, even though some things are so out of place, like not out of place, that's not the right way to say it. But like, you know, falling from the helicopter, grabbing onto the basket at the very end, you know, the bag or the, the cargo net, um, something like that. You're like, oh man, but it's not... Un, like impossible it's not something that's like hey that could literally never happen no it actually most of this stuff actually could and so i appreciate that about the movie yeah i wonder if we took a, a luck scale to this movie and counted how many times the hero gets lucky uh it's quite freaking often absolutely and i think he has the superhero power of luck i mean that's <laughs> definitely that's something right that he's he domino has yeah he is without a doubt you know one thing I do like about Ethan though you had said it, he's always um confident and he can always improvise and get out of problems I do like though that he always has a plan right he approaches the situation knowing what he wants and has a way to get it but then of course you know something bad happens the bad guys figure something out somebody stumbles upon something but he always has a way to get out of it He he's just the king of impro- improvisation yeah yeah, really good. And I I just love it. I'll figure it out. And that's something like my wife would say, "What are you going to do?" I'm like, "I'll just figure it out." It's not something I think of, like this is what Ethan Hunt would say. It's just my personality. I'll figure it out, and it'll be okay. Mhm. Totally. It's always going to be okay. We can always figure stuff out, especially with our first-world problems. And we don't have the, we don't have to deal with the kind of stuff that Ethan Hunt deals with, you know, on a day-to-day no, day basis. Absolutely not. Any problem that hits us, we can figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, One thing I really love, there's two things, two additional things about Ethan Hunt in this movie. He displayed a couple times that he just will not kill innocent people or cops, like that scene with that French policewoman. I just absolutely loved it, and it was a cool dichotomy. He was telling her, just leave, just walk away, but you see Walker, or Henry Cavill's character, pulling out his gun like he's ready to kill a police officer, you know? Yeah, yeah, and that leads me into my thought of Walker, um, Henry Cavill's character. Um, I agree. So his character now, after watching the movie, we know he's the bad guy. You know, he's the Lark. Is Lark? I think his name, right? Yeah, or lock So he he's ready to kill at any time because he does. That's what he does. He kills. And so he's ready. He's more the hammer as opposed to you know like a, a what instrument, whatever type of instrument, a knife or something. Anyways, all that to say, um, Henry Cavill's character is going to is going to kill. What I really didn't like, the only one thing that I would walk away from the story that I didn't like, was as soon as you see Harry Ca- Henry Cavill's character come in the picture, I'm like, crap, he's the bad guy. Did you think that? Yes, I thought that was possible right away, but normally I'm not a fan of betrayals and your friends betraying or fellow cops betraying you, but in this instance, I was fine with it because... You would just said he's the hammer to Ethan Hunt's scalpel, right? Yeah. Um. They set up Henry Cavill or Walker's character as kind of an, an, an antagonist from the start. And so because he's already an antagonist and he's already not seeing things the same way our hero is seeing things, um, I was okay with his betrayal in this one yeah i'm not saying that i or i'm not saying that i absolutely hated it that i thought it was it was bad it was just you know you could see that coming but yeah. you're right i'm right there with you like if luther would have turned on him yeah uh, because you know they got his kids and all that sort of stuff i was like uh like the was it fast and the furious where um uh vin diesel turns on him he doesn't tell them reason why and all that sort of stuff it's like oh come on that's just that's just silly yeah but um and here, I, I definitely thought, hey, this is a good way to bring in the bad guy. You know, the guy is on the side of good, supposedly, but he's actually a bad guy. Um, and I did appreciate how he was trying to set up Ethan Hunt. Like that, the storyline in that process, you know, it's very doable. It's very, very reasonable. It wasn't impossible or illogical. I like the way that they did that. Without a doubt, did you catch that the phone that he pulled off of the Asian lark was broken? And then when he handed it to the CIA boss, it was a fresh phone? Absolutely caught that, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when I saw that, I was like, huh, I kind of thought it was broken. Oh, wait, yes, it was broken. Yep. Hey, thinking about different scenes, I want to talk a little bit about the action scenes. Yeah. So the, the, the action scenes on this movie were tremendous. I know it takes so long for them to, to film these things. Everything. Like I loved the jumping out of the airplane. I thought that was fantastic. That was just so, so cool. Um, Tom Cruise doing all of his own stunts. I wouldn't doubt that the majority of that stuff he did himself, if not all of it. I mean, did you hear that? Or let me ask you, do you know if he literally does all his own stunts or does he have any stuntmen? He does have stuntmen, um, uh, working occasionally, but he does most of his own stunts. And did you hear that he broke his ankle on the shoot? No, I didn't hear that. I guess it was supposedly when he was running across the building and he'd made like a gigantic 20-foot jump from building to building. He actually hit his ankle so hard on the wall of the other building that it cracked it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And they used that take in the movie wow that's cool yeah so that i loved the jumping out of the airplane i thought that was super awesome um i i, I definitely thought that fight scene inside the bathroom was super cool yes when you have henry cavill and um uh tom cruise and this other guy you know the fake lark guy they were just fighting it was just super super awesome loved it mm-hmm. what else uh, what about the other fight scenes I I I really enjoyed the the one that really sticks out to me was the riding of the motorcycle. Yes, loved him riding that motorcycle, and you could see his face. It's totally not a, a you know a uh, stunt double. It's totally not. Yeah, it's not um, like he was sitting on a on a on, in front of a blue screen with a giant fan blowing his face. You know, <laughs> absolutely. When I saw him, like the motorcycle, I saw him take off in the motorcycle and then go through. So I've been to France um, this last year. I went to France and went to Paris and super cool. So it was great to see where they were, seeing at the Eiffel Tower, seeing the Arc de Triomphe. That's where um, Ethan Hunt was riding the motorcycle in a circle around that Arc de Triomphe. I was there seeing that. So that was super cool, you know, reminiscing and thinking about that. But um, as he's driving through around the Arc de Triomphe, it was so awesome seeing the cars flying by and he's just he looks like he's hammering it you know on the motorcycle he's doing really well so yeah that was a fantastic scene of him riding that motorcycle all through everything super super cool without a doubt it was i love that scene and the the whole idea initially of Uh, He had to figure out a way to get Solomon Lane without killing any cops and what he did was perfect. And, you know, I'm not going to really pat myself on the back, but as soon as he thought, oh, geez, we might have to kill cops. I knew that's what his solution was going to be. Hit him into the lake. river did you did you really yep that was the first thing like how can he do this other than trying to pull him out earlier before the cops even get there um that he would knock him into the lake and then because now the guy that you're trying to uh free is in the lake why would you go in and kill the cops there's no point you just messed up their whole plan now those guys you know you got they've got they've all got to approach the situation differently so you're saving those cops lives that's brilliant. I, I literally did not think that I was I was kind of going along the storyline like, hey, let's just watch how this goes. I didn't think how could he get around it. But if you thought that that's brilliant, because the way he did that, it really I was like, Oh, crap, what's he doing? Is he just trying to kill him? But no, then you get the, you know, the, the guys come in and take him out and everything really, really super cool. I love that scene. Really, really great. Me too, and it led to the coolest shot. They show it in the trailer too, which is a bummer. I'm glad I didn't see the trailers ahead of time. But when Solomon Lane is trapped or you know tied up within that truck, and it's going under, and the and the the truck starts to roll while the water levels rising, it was just such an awesome shot. It made me feel like I was in the back of the bus um, or the truck, actually tied in with Solomon. I loved that scene. And I was I was like gripping the seats. I was like, oh, this is awesome. But that scene of him being upside down, you know, gravity pulling him down and the water coming up to him. That was super cool. Very, very creative shooting on all this stuff. Yeah. Without a doubt. Oh, one last thing I want to talk about is because we're on the action scenes, um, his... Remember when he was running through London and then Benji said, come on, turn left, what are you waiting for? And he goes, I got to jump, give me a second. I really like how I think the younger Ethan Hunt back, you know, 22 years ago when the first Mission Impossible would have just looked, taken three steps back and run and jumped, you know. But I like how this Ethan Hunt is a little bit older, a little bit more wiser, and maybe a little bit more understanding of what his body can and can't handle. Yeah, I agree. And also along with that... When he's uh, um, who's, who's the redhead guy? The um, he's really funny. The funny Simon guy. Pegg Simon. or Benji is in the movie. Yeah, there you go, and Benji. So I love the nuances that they play in the movie to bring in humor and just make you think, Oh, that was funny. You know, like, oh, I didn't see that coming like with the iPad or whatever he was using. Like it wasn't flipped right, like he didn't have the scroll lock or not, um, uh, the auto auto turn and then it wasn't 3D and things like that. You're like, Oh man, that's funny because I was thinking of. Um, the Justice League, I always think of, if you want to pick a horrible movie and (laughs) something to go against, go with Justice League. And so, you know, thinking of Justice League, there's no really, uh, other than The Flash a couple times being funny, like there's no humor, there's no lightness in the movie. Like it's all just dark and serious and crappy. And so here, just like in Marvel movies, you bring in humor, you bring in uh, entertainment and make people want to watch it again. Like Thor Ragnarok I've literally watched it like seven or eight times and my kids just love watching it over and over again cuz it's it's extra you know really really super awesome exciting stuff but then there's also really fun things back and forth and so in this movie they did a good job going back and forth with being serious but then also having some lighthearted stuff without a doubt it does and I agree with you there um I gave this movie a rewatchable factor of 5 you know on a 1 to scale on 1 to 5 scale what do you what would you, what would you give it well, so if we're going to talk about watchable, I would also lean into, you know, what is our, you know, um, Rotten Tomato type score. Uh-huh. So, and cause then if I'm going to rewatch it again, that's going to be me giving it a higher score like that uh, huge play in factor gotcha. for my score. So if it's on a watchable, definitely a five, I would definitely watch. I will watch it again. It was super fun, enjoyable to watch. So going into the actual rating that I would give it, I would give it like an 86% because I really, really enjoyed it. What for me it wasn't a ninety. I might even reach up to like an eighty-eight, like a B plus. Um, really, really fun. Really, really great movie. And so I would give it. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a little higher because I definitely appreciate it. Eighty-eight percent for me. What about you? Great. I give it easily a ninety-five. <laughs> wow, ninety-five. Yep. Anybody who likes action should go see this movie. If you don't like action movies, stay away from it. But action. It combines action with great story, and then so. Like not many movies do that. Lots of movies have great action, but kind of a eh, piss poor story. Or P- movies have great story with kind of eh middling action. This combined the best of both worlds, and like you said, a bit of comedy too, uh, which adds to the fun factor. Yeah, you're right. And I'm gonna li- also all of our listeners out there give you the, the difference between Sky and myself. So I I wouldn't say I'm like a negative Nancy at all, but um, Sky usually I'm a positive Pete. Yeah, he's a very positive Pete. So if he likes it, oh, it's a go. Let's go go go. <laughs> exactly. Hey, one thing I wanted to ask you, Dust. So we grew up together. Our parents taught us a ton of lessons. Now I can't remember who taught me this lesson, and maybe you can tell me. I've always believed that if you have nothing nice to say, say nothing at all. Um That's why sometimes when it comes to giving harsh criticism or negative reviews, I kind of shy away from that. Did we learn that from our parents or did I just pick that up somewhere and just decided to live by it? Do you know? I don't think that that is a specific lesson that we got from our parents. Obviously, our parents would tell us, especially our mom would say, hey, that's just not nice to say. I could I could see that. But I've learned that um, outside of my parents, maybe from either movies, actually, no, what it, or I take it back where I've learned that was in practical application of me saying something stupid <laughs> or you know wrong and it, it blown up in my face. I'm like, crap, I shouldn't say that <laughs> or say, say things like that or talk about somebody or whatever. And so that's how I learned it. But I don't remember our parents specifically doing that. Yeah, me either. I think I learned it the same way as you for sure. Yeah, I remember your favorite movie quote, at least I from what I remember back in the college days, was um just like uh, in Armageddon, Bruce Willis's character, his his line was, I'll go no quit. Yep. I was like, hey, that's that's Sky, I'll I'll go no quit. So Sky's gonna give a movie a ninety-five percent. He's gonna be like the opposite of the movie critics who always, you know, they have to be critics. So a critic means they're negative in my opinion. So they're always giving things like 60%, 50% or 40%. Sky's guy's usually on the higher end. He is, it's hard for him to give a lower number, but I would say that you have in the past, if it's really, really bad, like if you hate it. So, um, yeah, but I, I'm right there with you. I really, really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was really fun. So I would suggest if anybody likes, Action movies, or even likes Tom Cruise, um, Ving Rhames. I love Ving Rhames; he's always fun to watch. Um, yeah, go watch this movie. It's a really, really good movie. Yep, without a doubt. So, before we get to the lessons learned, I have a couple questions for you, Dust. These are things that I've been toying with in my head uh, about this movie, right? So, this is, of course, twenty-two years in. It's the sixth movie. Tom Cruise is fifty-six years old. Where do they go next? I mean, his boss Hunley Alec uh, Baldwin was killed, so my thinking is that Ethan Hunt takes over as Hunley's role and they get a new younger actor like Daniel Radcliffe or Nicholas Holt, somebody like that, which I would love to see either one of those actors as uh, the new Mission Impossible, uh, Mission Impossible Force, you know, uh, lead guy, I guess. Um, where do you think they could take this series next? I don't know. Well, usually it seems like they come out in originally it was 1996 and then 2006. So 10 years apart. The next one was like 2012. And so now they're getting progressively closer in in time span as far as the, you know, us watching the movie, not like the time span in the movie, but us watching the movie. So Tom Cruise is getting a little older and older. So I do like your idea. You know, he's 56. I think you said right. Yeah. So he may have may next year have one more in him. But man, once you get 60, you really start, uh, you know, aching. And, and anyways, so if they're wise, it seems like that would be a good move is bring in some flesh, blood. obviously you're not going to have the same name, Ethan Hunt, unless they reboot the entire thing and start over with a fresh Ethan Hunt. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of reboots. I mean, the story is so great right now. Just continue it. There's no need to reboot it, in my opinion. I I agree. I'm right there with you. So I th- I like your idea that he is um still a part of it. He is more the leader because you could see Ethan Hunt has a good sense about him on tactical things, like how to get things done. Um, but the one thing we don't know necessarily is how he is at strategy, like big picture. So that could be something that they can develop in him. How is he with strategy as opposed to tactics and then bringing somebody in and, and then training them up or helping them? Nice. Yeah. Um, the second question I had for you, or yeah, the second one is, remember that video essay we talked about? About uh, It was called Who is Ethan Hunt that we put in last week's uh, show notes page? Yes, I do. Yeah, each movie seems to kind of correspond with where Cruise is in his life. What do you think this movie says about Tom Cruise right now at 56 years old? That's a great question. I actually was thinking about that. So for me, it seems like he is trying to settle his life not not settle his life down but he's just trying to be um a, a rational normal human being you know taking care of things like you know obviously he's he's taking care of the cop the, the lady that that got shot you know he's t- trying to take care of her um he's he's trying to help people out and he's just trying to make sure things are peaceful in in his life as Tom Cruise is right now, just trying to make sure everything's, you know, copacetic. And I see that being in this episode where, or, you know, the, the mission of possible six, that that's what his job is to make sure, Hey, there's a bad problem. Let me fix it. At the same time, make sure everything's copacetic. I agree with you there. He's working towards maybe taking a more um, advisory role in life, maybe not doing all these action movies as much. And maybe now he's going to be more of a producer, possibly a director kind of a thing and uh, and pursue that path. Because as we saw in this movie, his character, Ethan Hunt, is showing his age. He's acting or reacting a little bit slower, not wanting to take the big risks. Not as much, but he's still really confident in his ways. And so I think that does say a lot about uh, Tom Cruise as a filmmaker. And, you know, the whole idea with um he's moving on and he's happy that his ex-wife julia is happy as well but now he's got this new woman maybe tom cruise is ready to move on with his um his own interpersonal relationships in life yeah very true because you could see that the mist uh mi6 um lady uh, she was saying, you should have came with me, you mm-hmm. know, basically, Hey, we could have been together. So it, it very well could be, it seems like he, maybe he's toning down his, this one episode, I keep saying episode, his one area of his life and moving on to another, which very well could be very good. I mean, I do really appreciate Jack Reacher. Those movies are really, really fun to watch. I think Tom Cruise is a great action, um, star as well. So, um, I hope he doesn't get completely out of action, but at the same time, it does seem like that. But I did really appreciate that video that you said that showed every one of those Mission Impossible movies are where Tom Cruise is at in his life. It's just, Ethan Hunt is Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is Ethan Hunt. Hundred percent. And my last question for you is, Julia, his wife, she had said that she met some guy who brought her and her husband there to that camp to do good, to do good work, you know, to help others in need. But was that person that she met, was that actually Solomon Lane or was it somebody else who was helping Solomon Lane kind of seek revenge on, on Ethan Hunt? Because that was kind of weird. How did she end up there when for the past one and a half years, Solomon Lane has been locked up in captivity? Yeah, that was the one question that I had because I thought maybe that was, um Tom Cruise or Ethan Hunt getting that set up for her to get her, you know, like almost like witness protection. But if it was, he would have known she was there. Yeah. You know, and so that's that's the one kind of thought that it was um, Solomon Lane, but it could be somebody else. It was just, you know, when Ethan Hunt said, yes, I do fully believe that that could have happened because he sees the writing on the wall of who it was, but it just left it a little more open air where I thought it was Solomon, but at the same time, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Tried to figure that out. Um, So we talked about Monday morning quarterbacks. You mentioned a couple things, but what is your Monday morning quarterback that you selected for this episode? So my Monday morning quarterback would be to not lose the uranium from the beginning. So Easily, somebody might say, or at least the, the one CIA director said, you should have let him die and just kept the, the uh, uranium. But what I, I agree with, um, I guess, in in sense with more of the Ethan Hunt, you know, obviously you shoot Luther. You make him like take out of the equation, even though he'll be fine because he has a vest on. And then as soon as you shoot him, run and grab the ore because they're gonna think he's either dead or he's no longer a threat or it can be useful as a um, opportunity against either hunt. Turn around, and grab the the uranium, and then get in the car, drive over there, get Luther, and then drive out. So I guess I would not have lost track. Uh, obviously, he's really caring about Luther; he wants to take care of him, but not lost track with the the uranium. That's just silly. Yeah, gotcha. That uranium was the number one goal of that whole mission. And to just to 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 leave it behind uh, was kind of a bad play. Yeah. And I mean, I could see why he thought the bad guys were on one end. They're on the other end. There's not going to be any issues with that. Um, but at the same time, wow, what, you just leave it there? Okay, I guess. I gotcha. Well, my Monday morning quarterback was after the foot chase through London. um, Tom Cruise is hanging. Ethan Hunt's hanging on the bottom of the elevator. And, you know, Walker's right above him with a gun. It would have been the perfect time. Forget Solomon Lane's plan of making Ethan Hunt hurt, you know, for revenge. Skip the revenge. Just kill him. So this number one guy, this number one antagonist to your world domination plans um, so that you eliminate him gives you a much better chance of succeeding in your goals absolutely like if i'm looking at the number one bad guy i'm gonna shoot him because i'm not gonna say oh somebody else has something to do with you you're absolutely right he should have and i thought it was like this is just silly why would you not take him out because you want to pin it on him i, I didn't yeah because you know he's going to stop anything like he literally never dies and he stops everything that gets in his way so take it out of the equation good good idea Yep. absolutely so dust what is your first lesson learned from this movie my first lesson learned goes back to that, I guess he was a doctor or somebody, but basically the guy that put together the bombs. Um, I would go to that scene and I look at the, the um, him in the hospital bed and then looking at the news that's playing and he's getting tricked. My first thing is never trust CNN. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) How funny is that? (laughs) Never Never trust trust CNN. Whatever's on CNN, even if you wake up and you think you've been asleep for 24 hours or two weeks or whatever... Oh, man, just <laughs> never trust CNN. Yep, I love that. I love that one. Oh, speaking of that scene, though, I thought it was really cool how they did utilize um, they, they utilized that, and it felt really real. Like, from us watching it, it felt like Ethan Hunt was super disappointed or just ashamed that nuclear bombs went off and killed millions of people. Like, it made sense that it would trick that dude in the bed. Definitely did. I mean, so wholeheartedly, because you see a known actor or I'm going to say actor um, a news reporter in Wolf Blitzer you, he's a normal person you would normally see him on the air and he's actually reading it and you see all the, it It makes you think that yeah it's actually real and the way that they played out was terrific so yeah it was great I guess it was an hour after you know I had a car accident is what they said but yeah so that's my first <laughs> my first lesson don't trust CNN oh sweet good lesson good lesson uh, my first lesson was do your clandestine activities behind clothes doors i just i love that scene when they were loading solomon lane um hooded and handicapped uh, into the car and they opened the door and the meter maid was there it was just so classic and just a good lesson if you're doing something bad close the doors keep the doors closed good job all right my number two is if you're in the car being chased by a motorcycle, just ram it. Like we talked about earlier, yeah. you know, like that lady's chasing him and they don't know exactly who it is. Obviously, Ethan Hunt might be thinking he knows who it is, but um, just literally give her a nudge or something where if you don't want to hurt her. But um, there's a time where Ethan Hunt has to pass her in order to you know keep trying to escape. Just ran. It. It's a motorcycle. Just knock it over without a doubt. And speaking of motorcycle, that leads right into my second lesson learned. And that is learn to ride a motorcycle. So. We can all drive cars. We can drive trucks and stuff. But if you ever need to escape and the only thing available is a dirt bike or a motorcycle, well, you're better off knowing how to ride it. So I think we should all go out there and learn to ride one. What about a helicopter? That too. Get some helicopter <laughs> lessons. <laughs> I agree. So that's a great, great lesson. Make sure you know how to ride a motorcycle. And then my third one is really, um, I was taken away at how awesome All the scenes were like the locations that they shot. Um, It brought me back to when I went and I did a six week vacation with my wife and four kids. We went through all through Europe and we went from England, Scotland, Ireland, Israel, uh, Netherlands, Belgium, uh, what else, France, Germany, Germany austria switzerland we went to like 11 or 12 different countries saw so many beautiful things and in this movie you see so many beautiful um scenery you kind of get it does get a little lost in the action but when you realize how beautiful it is and here's my my opinion that whatever you see on film is garbage compared to it what it looks like in real life like if you see a picture of the Alps. And you think, oh, the Alps look beautiful. Well, going to the Alps, it's a hundred million times better. So my third lesson is travel the world. It is beautiful. Just get out there and travel as best as you can, because it's amazing to get out there and experience all that. I love that lesson. Good stuff. Uh, My third lesson is this. It's accept the past. It's what led you to where you are now. If you're unhappy, make a change. And now this was just evidenced by Julia. She accepted her past with Ethan. She doesn't blame him for anything. She's not mad at him. Where her experience with him and then having to be on the run because people might be targeting her. Well, that's what led her to this really fulfilling work that she's doing. And it led her to meet her current husband, who she's absolutely, I mean, as evidenced by what she says in the movie, she's happy there with everything. So she's content and she's accepted the past, which is a really good lesson to learn for everybody. That's a great point. Very, very cool. I like that a lot. So So I think the last thing we didn't talk about yet is the movie prop that you would love to own. And I think for me, it's that book at the very beginning with that secret message inside. I would like to have that up on the shelf. So I thought the same thing about that book. I thought that book was super awesome, but it was the same A book is the same type of thing that in The Equalizer, I pick that as one of mine. So, I mean, I could get a book from every single movie, but I thought of another thing. Um, Two different ones, but I'll probably stick with one. My first one that I'm not going to go with is I really really like Ving Rhames I think Ving Rhames is awesome love his character I remember the first time I ever saw it was saw him was in Pulp Fiction loved his uh, loved him He was fantastic and so I love his hats all of his hats that he wears ah. maybe getting one of those hats and having those hey this is Ving Rhames hat this is Luther's hat from Mission Impossible but what would actually stand out really well and it's a little bigger the only reason why I'm kind of hesitant on picking this one but this is what I would pick is the orb like one of those uranium oh. orbs well why not the briefcase with all three orbs in it i thought the briefcase would be pretty cool but that's even bigger and you kind of hide uh. you know if you just get one of the orbs and just put one of the orbs on there on, on like a shelf or something hey this is an orb from mission impossible six that would be good sweet yeah i like that idea that's a good one so all righty does i think we've covered oh i've we've covered everything i wanted to discuss was there anything that we left out on your side I can't think of everything. I think we did a good job covering it all. Sweet. So this movie was my choice. Dusty, what is your choice for next week? Okay, so you picked this one. Mission Impossible, great movie to to pick. I am going to pick one that's a totally different turn than we would normally take. And so there is a documentary out that just came out, created by Dinesh D'Souza. It's called Death of the Nation. It's all about, you know, progressives and liberals and conservatives and all that sort of stuff. And I want to watch it. It sounds pretty good. Uh, What do you think? Do you want to take that one as our next movie? (laughs) No, there's nothing that would get me to watch a movie like that ever. Um, So I'm sorry. I have to veto it. Oh, dude. Ah. All right, you pulled the veto card. Okay, well, you're older than me, so I'll definitely (laughs) let that stand. So... I'm going to pick the Meg, and it has Jason Statham in it, and I really, really enjoy his action movies and and his acting and everything. But what is funny, he's very similar to, like, Jeff Goldblum. He's the same person in every single Uh. movie. You know, you can never change his character. But I'm looking forward to it. It looks really, really fun. Now, part of me, because I saw the the trailer of it, because it was one of the movies, in one of the movies we were watching, you know, the trailers before they actually start the movie. Um, I was thinking, and this might be like a Monday morning quarterback. I'm kind of giving it away just because it's a shark. And, you know, it's instincts are to eat. But I do remember um uh Tro- Crocodile Dundee. Do you remember Crocodile Dundee? <laughs> of course, who doesn't? So Crocodile Dundee taught me a huge lesson. I don't know if we'll ever actually go through Crocodile Dundee. But part two, when he's in New York, he taught me a huge lesson that you can kill fish with dynamite and so i'm thinking why not get like a huge explosive something that you could drop it down and that pressure is just going to blow up meg's brain and and he would be done why not do something like that but hey oh well i'm not i haven't seen the movie yet so <laughs> that's just my thought but what do you think about doing the meg i'm down with the meg i will not veto that i just i cannot do a right-leaning or a left-leaning documentary it just it feels like homework, and I, I I, don't want this podcast to be about me doing homework. That's funny. It feels like homework. Yeah, I can see that. Yep. Okay, so good. We're going to watch the Meg. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that. So for the listeners, thank you very much for tuning into this episode. If you want to go to the show notes page, you can visit watchandlearnpodcast.com slash mission impossible fallout all one word mission impossible fallout and uh, you can go there to see all the life lessons that we picked take a look at the official trailer there's also the link to that really good video essay by patrick willems called who is ethan hunt and a few screenshots there for you so once again from dusty and i thank you so much for listening and we will return next week with the meg